where we look this morning at the text that God wants to draw our attention to as we begin a month of emphasis regarding our management of life. Philippians 1.21, a familiar verse, and by God's providence, it also happens to have been the life verse of Donna Magnus. For to me, to live is Christ, writes Paul, and to die is gain. Complete this sentence in your own mind. Life is, and then fill in the blanks. Life is what to you? There would be some who would say life is doing the best you can with what you've got. Others would say life is realizing your self-potential. Someone else might say life is finding and loving that special person who is your spouse. Others would say life is raising my family and finally getting to an empty nest. Others would say no, life is retiring and finally enjoying what you've accumulated through your working years. How would you complete that? Life is. The author of the hymn, This Is My Father's World, Maltby Babcock, said this, life is what you are alive to. Life is what you are alive to. In other words, life is what excites you. Life to you is what motivates you. Life is what turns you on. To the Apostle Paul, life was Christ. The essence of being alive to Paul was knowing Christ and then making him known. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Oh, that I may know him, that I may know Christ. In chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. What really turned the Apostle Paul on was knowing Jesus Christ and then making him known, or as he summarizes it in this verse, to live is Christ. Although he faced the prospect of death by execution, death which he personally desired, by the way, so that he could go to be with Christ, which he saw as far better, he nonetheless saw life, whatever it brought, and however long it might last, as an opportunity to serve Christ and his purpose in the world. It seems to me that's a great perspective for all of us to start the new year. And to start this month in January as we think about the management of our lives. What I want to talk about this morning is this, that life is Christ, as Paul says. Life is Christ, knowing and serving him. It seems to me that that's the biblical perspective, however foreign it may sound, to our ears in a world like ours. More commonly, we hear ideas like this, life is a beach or something that sounds similar to that. Life is fun. Life is pleasure. Life is an entertainment. There are others who say, no, life is self-actualization. Life is about fulfilling my dreams. Then there are those who say, life is really about finding the God within you and drawing upon your human potential to achieve your goals. Well, thank God he has delivered us from these deceptions. Yet how easily we lose sight ourselves of what life is all about. Life is Christ. Knowing him, serving him. 
Now, I make that claim based upon the suppositions that seem to arise right out of Philippians. These suppositions are what Paul based his life upon, and we as well need to base our lives upon these ideas. First of all, that God arranges our lives by providence. Paul had been led to Philippi in the first place by a vision. A man from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And Paul took that as God's direction, God's providential direction, to go to Macedonia and to Philippi and the other cities there. <clears throat> the Philippians then had been saved, and God was at work in their circumstances and in Paul's circumstances. You see, life is a gift from God. God is the giver of it. It is not an accident. Therefore, it is not to be viewed or used carelessly. Life is a gift. It is sacred. It is not merely a biological product. Life is a gift from God. And the circumstances of life are sovereignly provided for us. I think of several respects in which life is providentially provided. First of all, in respect to our ancestry. Paul had been born a Jew in a family where he was trained in the law. He grew up as a Pharisee. And all of that was by God's providence to prepare him to be the unique person that he was in God's plan. Every one of us is the same. We are born of the parents that we had by God's design. Some of you may not even have known your parents, your biological parents. But the fact is that God brought you into the world with the parents that he designed for you. And following from that, God designs for you by providence your appearance. Yes, I'm sorry, he did. No, I'm not sorry at all, nor should you be. God made you look just the way you look. He tinkered with the genetics so that at a certain age, if you're like me, you begin to lose your hair and you begin to get wrinkles and you look differently. And all of us would change something, I suppose, because we tend to compare ourselves with others. But the fact is that God has providentially given us our appearance and flowing from it as well is the fact that God has providentially given to us our abilities, those talents that we have in life. And finally, our adversities. God providentially arranges our adversities. Paul said in the, in, from prison here, as a matter of fact, that the things that had happened to him had actually advanced the gospel. And he was glad for that. He saw his imprisonment as being an opportunity for the gospel to even get into Caesar's household. Paul was excited about the fact that God arranged his life by providence. And you and I need to be excited about that too. And what happens to us is not an accident. What happens to us is by God's design. We live under the care and the oversight of a God who is committed to see his purpose in us brought to completion. There's a second idea that comes out of Philippians that caused Paul to be able to say life is Christ, and it's this, that God saves us that we might glorify and find delight in him. Paul sees salvation as a gift. In verse 29, he says, To you it has been granted for Christ's sake to believe in him. Now, he goes on to make another point, but that's part of his point. We have been given the gift of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift, and God's ultimate purpose in that is his own glory. Through our acknowledgement of Christ, our bowing of the knee to him, and declaring with our tongue that he is Lord. 
God's work in us is his delight. It is his good pleasure to work his will in our lives. Paul, in this book, tells us how highly he values Christ. He says everything else is but dung compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he found great delight in knowing Christ. And therefore, he tells the Philippians who are suffering to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, joy may well be the theme of Philippians, although it's a book about suffering. Rejoice in the Lord. God saves us that we might glorify him and find delight in him. When you and I allow that idea to get down in our souls where it belongs, then we're going to be able to say, as Paul did, well, really, life is Christ. To live is to know him, to make him known. There's a third idea that Paul talks about in this book, and that is that God entrusts us with the privilege of managing life. <clears throat> God entrusts us with the privilege of managing life. Now, life includes a lot of things. It includes time. It includes talents. It includes treasures. It includes influence. It includes problems and disappointments. It includes possibilities and opportunities. And all of these Paul mentions in this book. I don't have time to go into them this morning. But on all the milieu of life, God entrusts us with the privilege of being managers or stewards. Everything about our lives is properly viewed as a management issue. Christ gives us what he knows that we can manage by his grace if we choose to do that. Now, we can choose to do other than that also. But God's plan for us is that we learn to manage life under the lordship of Christ. And when we see our lives this way, then we can say, as Paul did, Life is Christ. And the final idea I want to point to from Philippians is the supposition that caused Paul to be able to make this claim is that God rewards us for being faithful. Paul looked forward to his future reward from Christ. He says, I press on toward the mark of the upward calling of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. That upward calling may well refer to Paul being called forward to receive his reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, to me to live is Christ, but he says, to die is gain. A gain is one's advantage. It is one's profit. You invest a certain amount of money, you sell the stock, and what you gain is your profit. Paul says, I am seeing my life as a stewardship. I am investing it, and one day when I die, that's going to be my profit. To die and to be with him is gain. He focused his life so that he would receive the crown for which he ran the race. God rewards us for being faithful. And when we understand that, that it makes a difference that we're faithful, we will say with Paul, life is Christ. When we look through the lens of Revelation and we view life as Paul did, then we're going to say with Paul that life is knowing Jesus Christ and making him known to others. All the stuff that tends to absorb our attention, all the stuff that happens to us or that is incidental, just surrounds this core purpose 
the purpose of knowing Christ and making him known. The question I have for all of us this morning is this. What is your life about? What is your life about? Is it about Christ or self? In his commentary in Philippians, Warren Wiersbe says, Life to some is money, and to die for them is to leave it behind. For others, life is fame. To die for them is to be forgotten. For yet others, life is power, and to die for them is to lose it all. But if we want to know joy in every circumstance, and we want to see the gospel advance, then we must say with conviction, as did the Apostle Paul, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. What is life about for you, friend? As we come to the Lord's table, what we're saying by our actions is that life is Christ, and we're remembering him in this cup and bread. But is that the truth? Is that what life really is to us? You know, that's an important thing to reflect on. Because as we partake of this bread and this cup, we don't want to be lying. So let's open our hearts and be transparent before God for just this moment, at least. And ask God to show us what we're living for and what it is that really excites us, what it is that motivates us, and to recognize that that is what life really is to us. And let's confess where we need to confess our sins. Lord Jesus, all of us are caught up short by what the Apostle says in Philippians 1. We live in a world that it easily distracts us from what life really ought to be about. And so we humble ourselves before we partake of these elements. And we confess our sins. We confess the wrong motivations in our lives. But at the same time, we purpose by your grace to live in such a way that for us to live is Christ. We partake of this bread remembering that he gave himself for us. Gratefully we eat of it, giving ourselves to you.
Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. We remember you, Lord Jesus, and partake of this cup, likewise with gratitude, recognizing that it represents the price that was paid for us. Thank you that by this blood we are reconciled and charged with the management of life for the glory of God. Amen.
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For Christ's sake, you have been forgiven. In Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away, and you're as white as snow. Isn't that something we can rejoice in as we begin a new year? to know that we're right with God. Everything else, God will provide us providentially, overseeing our circumstances and caring for us. So let's trust him for every day. Let's allow him to really change our hearts deeply and to see life for what it needs to be, what God calls it to be, Christ. Knowing him, knowing him more deeply, more intimately, more personally, and making him known to others. Thank you for being in worship today. If you're visiting with us, I want to invite you to come to the reception area in the back. I'd like to greet you personally. As soon as we're dismissed, find your way there, and I'll look forward to a handshake and finding out who you are. We receive the elders offering on communion Sundays, and if you wish to uh, put something in the elders fund for those who have needs in our church, you may do so by placing it in the box at the rear of the church. Now, we have a right hand of fellowship that we want to extend this morning to four people who are present in our service. And I think we have an addition. And uh, that is Janet England and her new daughter, who has just arrived. <laughs> Amen. I don't think that was her. And Cheryl, you come on up, Cheryl Huckle, uh, Jan Dean, and Kim Friesen, the four of you. But uh, I just want to stop you a second here and introduce to us your daughter. This is Eliana Ruth, and she's from Guatemala, and we just came home New Year's Eve. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? We praise the Lord. That's an answer to prayer, isn't it? Oh, months yeah. and months <laughs> in waiting. God bless you. Why don't you stand right by the Christmas tree where there's probably a little more room? We welcome you into our church this morning. God bless you, each one. Let's stand together now. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we stand in recognition of the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we go from here. And we stand before you declaring that we desire our lives to be faithful stewardships that we want to manage our lives in such a way that is consistent with your will for us and your calling, and it reflects faithfulness. And so may the Holy Spirit fill us this week and use us for the glory of God so that our lives will be Christ. And if this is the week that we should die, that would be gain. In Jesus' name, amen.